0: We are in the Gospel of John. I know it feels like a long time ago, but we are in the Gospel of John and we're talking about John's account of Jesus. John's account of Jesus. Um, to give you a quick recap, at John 1, we start with the introduction of the major characters. Uh, the author, John, who's the disciple. Um, we get introduced to John the Baptist. We also then get introduced to the main character, Jesus, who is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus begins in chapter 1 by calling his disciples. Now, you should know this, even though I haven't preached on it, you should know this, hopefully, because this is what we're doing in our devotional material. And last week, um, the sermon, which wasn't preached, but hopefully will be preached to go on the podcast, so... If you, if you miss chapter 2, was Jesus' first miracle when he turned water into wine. And all the alcoholics said, Amen. John 3 um, is about this amazing conversation uh, with Jesus and a Jewish leader about this idea of, well, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be born again? And, and I don't know if you noticed, and I hope that you are doing the devotional. whole church is doing the devotional. But um, I don't know if Pastor May did this on purpose, but on Valentine's Day, I don't know if you noticed, but Valentine's Day, it was John 3, John 3, 16, the greatest love of all for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal love. And I thought, wow, Pastor May, how considerate is she of all the lonely single people, <laughs> reminding them that even though they may be lonely and single on this earth God loves them, and God can be their valentine. Pastor May, she's so awesome. We're really starting to see who this Jesus is. And you know what? If you're new to church, you have come at the right time because we are all about who Jesus is. It's all about knowing or seeing Jesus, believing Jesus, and being saved by Jesus. And today we're in John chapter 4, Um And we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with a woman. Let's go. John chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikah, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, let me give you some context about who these people are, who are these Samaritans. The Samaritans were descendants of Israel's northern kingdom. Okay, so in the Old Testament, to give you a bit of history lesson, you had God's people, and they were the Israelites, and then King David was there, and under King David, it was a united kingdom, but under his son Solomon, because Solomon goes, funny, God, he curses Israel, and he says, I'm going to divide your kingdom. So they got northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Now, the southern kingdom, known as Judah, they, they, they tried their best to stay pure, okay? But the northern kingdom... Prostituted themselves to the neighboring countries, and what they would do is they would intermarry with their neighbors, and this was a no-no from the eyes of God. Now what this happened, what happened then was there was a massive divide between those from the northern kingdom and those from the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, the Jews, the northern kingdom, the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans because of this very reason. they were mud bloods. If you know what that is. It's a Harry Potter term. They were impure. The Jews were pure. They, they remained to their God. But the northern kingdom, they had prostituted themselves. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans. To the point, now we can go to the map. To the point where, bottom is where Jerusalem is and that's where Jesus is. And he's going to go up to the top where Galilee is, right? Now, the most direct route is the green line, right? From Jerusalem to Galilee, that green line, they say it's about a three to four day journey, okay? Because obviously they're just walking on donkeys or whatever, right? But the Jewish people would never take that green line. Why? Because it goes through Samaria. So what the Jewish people would do is they would take the red line, which goes around Samaria. This is how much they hated them. That red journey, they say, takes up to two weeks. So this is a big to- detour. It- it's like if you were at North Sydney and you needed to get to Hornsby, but you hated the North Shore, right? So what do you do? You got to go through Epping. You're going to go all the way around. But this is how much the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They would give up a week and a half of their life to not go through Samaria. So when we read in this passage that when Jesus goes to Galilee, he goes through Samaria, straight away, the Jewish people around would be like, what is going on here? What is going on here? Verse 6, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. All right, so now the the context of the story is being painted. Jesus is walking through Samaria to get to galilee and he is tired because it is probably hot so he stops by a well right he stops by a well and at the time it was noon and at that time he's at the well this woman this samaritan woman not a jewish woman this samaritan woman this local woman comes out to the well to draw water now as much as this sounds normal Right, as much as it sounds like, oh, great story, you've got to understand some of the cultural elements to this. Firstly, it's the time of day. Okay, you went to get water from the well early morning or late afternoon. Why? Because it's cool. Right? It was a social activity for the women of the houses to go and they would all go together. They'd all grab their buckets and they'd all hang out and go, Hey, it's time to go to the world. Well. Let's go get some water. So they'd all go and Miss A and Miss B and Miss C and they'd all go together and then they would hang out by the world. Well. That's where all the gossip was shared, right? Oh, did you see what she wore? And, you know, did you see what he ate? You know, that's where all social activity happened during the morning and during the afternoon. And yet this woman comes middle of the day, hottest part of the day. You've got to be thinking, wait a minute, what's up with that? Why would she turn up when no one else is there? And we'll get to what that is. But we also see that suddenly then Jesus strikes a conversation up with this woman. And he says, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman looks at him. And I reckon the Samaritan woman, if I was there, I can imagine the Samaritan woman, Jesus goes, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman goes, me? You, you're speaking to me, but you're Jewish and I'm a Samaritan. You shouldn't be speaking to me. Jewish people don't speak to Samaritans. That's what the cultural norm was. There's a big social no no. So that's the context of this conversation. Jesus, the Son of God, is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Verse 10. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, you drink that water and tomorrow you're going to have to come back and drink it again. And you're going to have to come back and drink it again. But I have something, I have something that will quench your thirst forever. I have something that will satisfy you forever. Literally, he says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life jesus starts to show he starts to tell this woman look i'll tell you what i've got i don't have a temporary solution for your physical need but i have an eternal solution for your spiritual need living water that when we drink of it that we will never be thirsty again that we will never be in thirst again We're going to talk a little bit more about this later verse 15 the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i won't Get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true this woman is amazed by what jesus can offer this living water this water that i drink and that i'll never have to drink again and then she she asked for the water like anyone would jesus give me that water and jesus says okay go and call your husband and you go wait a minute jesus this is an interesting conversation she's asking for the living water and you go go call your husband And the woman would have been thinking, wait a minute, I just asked for water. Why do I need to go and call my husband? And then she replies, I have no husband. And Jesus points it out because he sees straight through the woman because Jesus is all known. He sees the the woman's situation and, and, and points it straight out and goes, yeah, that's right. You don't have a husband because you actually have had five husbands. And even the guy you're with now, he's not even your husband. What does Jesus do? Jesus pinpoints her sin. Now, we don't know the story of why she has five husbands. All we can assume is that she is very social. <laughs> Let's just call her like that. PG rated. Oh, she's just been around. She hasn't lived a, a whitey tidy kind of life. And she probably didn't want Jesus to know that. And that's why she said, Well, I have no husband. And yet Jesus sees straight through that. And he goes, Yeah, well, actually, I know you don't have a husband because you've actually had five. And even the guy you're with now, well, he's not even your husband. I thought about this, you know, and I've read this story so many times and I've heard about this story so many times. And I thought about why would Jesus bring that up then? Jesus, I want living water. Yeah? What about your sin? What about your sin? And I thought, originally I thought, okay, the reason why Jesus brings it up then is for you to receive the living water, you need to be, you need to get over your sin. You need to get right with God. You, and in one sense, it is true. But I don't think Jesus brought that up to shame this woman. As much as sometimes we think that, I don't think Jesus brought up the fact that this woman was in sin to put her to shame and go, well, yeah, you want living water, but man, look at your life. Look at your life. Look how messed up your life is. Five husbands and even the guy you're with now is not even your husband. I think Jesus brings up the idea of her sin, not to shame her, but actually to show her that even in the deepness of your sin, this living water... Is available for you, even in the deepest, darkest parts of her life and her sin. It explains why she's coming during the midday, because she probably isn't accepted in her community. She probably isn't. She she's the one that everyone else in the morning and the afternoon. That's who they're talking about. That's who they're gossiping about. So why was she? She, she can't come. She's she's an outcast. And yet Jesus, he points out her sin. And it's not to shame her. It's not to go, what's wrong with you? But it's to show her, look, even though this is what you're involved in, this is what you've done in your life, you know what? This water is still available to you. We'll get back to that as well. Verse 19. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worship." the father seeks god is spirit his worshipers must worship in the spirit and the truth right this woman right awkward conversation right they're suddenly talking about living water and then suddenly jesus like hey tell me about the deepest darkest sins in your life and she's probably like oh i didn't want to go there and so she finally i think she just turns the question she goes hey let's talk about worship let's talk about something different See, the Jews believed that the worship of God happened in the temple, and the temple was in Jerusalem. To be specific, the Mount of Moriah. Now, the Samaritans also believed that worship happened in their temple, and they would go to a place called Mount uh, Gerizim. But Jesus is saying to this woman, worship is not happening at a physical location. It's not defined by a physical location, but worship will be defined by the heart. See, traditionally, and even today, many people believe this, that you go to church to worship. And that's what the Jews believe. You go to temple to worship. That's what the Samaritans believe. You go to the mountain to worship. Can I tell you, even for some of you, you believe that you go to church, you go to 365 Victoria Avenue, Chatswood, 5 p.m. to worship. But what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is it's not about the destination. It's not about the physical location. See, traditionally, worship was all about ritual. You go to the place of worship. You wash your hands. You, ha- hands, you, know, you use hand sanitizer. And you say some words. You do some deeds. You sacrifice. You pray. You bow. All in that order. And then when you leave, you can walk out with a heart and you say, I have worshipped today. I have worshipped this week. Yet Jesus redefines worship to say that true worshippers weren't the ones who went to a certain place, but the ones who had a certain heart. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and truth. The two things that, that are repeated, spirit and truth. When we worship, we've got to worship with spirit and truth. The spirit talks about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, that our worship must be aligned with the way of God through his spirit. We don't, we don't worship a physical God, we worship a spiritual God. So when people go, you know, when people get a little bit freaked about the spiritual realm, no, no, you got to understand, God is spirit. Now, we're not, we're not talking about this, right? Right? people know what this is some people don't know what this is bring it on one spirit fingers okay <laughs> we're not talking about the supernatural chanting we're, we're just talking about understanding the heart of God that the words that we sing that our attitudes are in line with the heart of God and then it's also going to be in the truth what's the truth truths the word of God Our worship has to be in line with the Word of God, the Scriptures. Our worship must be in line with both. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration towards something of value or importance. It's expressing praise and delight into something that we find valuable or precious. But our worship of God must be one that has the right grasp of who God is and a right response in our hearts of His worth. And that doesn't happen when we do religious ritual coming to church singing a few songs listening to a sermon you know what's interesting it can either be a religious ritual or it can be true worship but it's all got to do with your heart you know it's interesting you can come to church every week and you can either give religious ritual or you can give worship and it's got nothing to do with what you do. It's all got to do with the heart behind it. You, you, you come to church because you need to tick off, you know, tick off your weekly schedule. You join a life group because you have to. But no joy, no real desire to honor God. That's religious ritual. You come to church with no desire to connect with God. No desire to worship Him. No desire to connect with His Spirit. That's religious r- ritual. But when you come to God, when you desire Him, when you want to see Him, when you want to experience Him, and when you sing these words, because they resonate out of your heart, then sings my soul. How great thou art. We sing these words, not because they're just on a screen, but because we believe them from the bottom of our heart. That's worship. That's the true worship in spirit and in truth. That's what God desires from us can i tell you god is not impressed that you came to church today i am because i have a low standard i'm just grateful that i'm preaching to more than my wife today really i am i have very low standard right but you don't worship me you you worship the god of creation some of you impressed that you come on time right That impresses me. It really does. I'm really grateful. You come on time, okay? Some of you even come earlier to have a coffee and fellowship and and all that. Thank you so much. And said, I'm impressed. But is God? No. God does not care about your ritual. God cares about your heart. Now, you might be able to fool everyone else, but you cannot fool God. You cannot fool God. God knows your heart. God knows exactly what you're thinking when you walk through the doors. Oh man, I hope he preaches short today. (laughs) Or even worse, man, I hope he's still sick. (laughs) Slack. God knows the heart. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. It's not about a place you go. Can I tell you, church is not a place you go worship doesn't happen when you go somewhere worship happens when you wake up and your heart is aligned to God you wake up and you say God how great you are that's worship that's worship in spirit and in truth worship is when you when you open your wallet and you go man with this money how can I honor you God how can I honor you with my schedule God that's worship that's worship in spirit and in truth God is not impressed that you came 52 weeks out of 52 weeks to church. God is not impressed that you give every week. God is not impressed with your ritual because God is concerned with your heart. Because that's true worship. That's true worship. If my children related to me out of religious ritual, they all wake up. You know, all four of them. I have four kids. I keep forgetting, but I have four kids. They all wake up in the morning. They all come by my my room, my office, my room. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, earthly father, thank you so much for bearing me many, many years ago. I'm going to go and make my breakfast. Thank you for providing me that breakfast and paying my bills and, and the roof. I'm going to go to school now. I want to come back from school now. Thank you for paying my school fees so that I can go to school. And that's it. And just every day, that's that's the same thing. Every day, every day, that's all they do. Every day, they just tell me exactly what I've done for them. But there is no relationship. That's ritual. And that's super sad. That's so sad. That's so sad. What kind of relationship, uh, you know, do I have with my kids if they're all robots? God doesn't want that. God does not want that. God wants you. He wants you to be real. You know what? God is more honored. God is more, man, this is what happens when preachers don't come one week. They get fired up. It's like, I feel like I need to preach two services today, right? I'm pumped, right? No one going home tonight, okay? We, right? God is more, can I tell you, God is more honored when you come to church and you're like, you know what, God, I didn't want to come today. I didn't want to come today. I'm not happy with you. I'm not happy with the world. My life sucks. I'm super, I'm depressed, Right? My, my job sucks. I really, I'm so tired. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Okay? And so let's deal with this. Can I tell you? God is more honored. Because at least that's real. You turn up and go, holy of God. Psalm 142 says. Man, you don't even know what Psalm 142 says. You know, you come and tick the box. and I sang a few songs. I raised my hand. and gave my offering you think god cares about that no god cares about your heart true worship true worship that's what god cares about verse 25 the woman said i know the messiah called christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us then jesus declared i the one speaking to you i am he man he makes it so simple he makes it so simple for this lady He says, you know, this Messiah that's promised to you, that's going to come and save you and save your nation from all the world. I am He. I'm the Messiah. You know what's super sad, right? The Jewish people, even today, this is what they believe. The Jewish belief system is exactly that, that they are waiting for the Messiah called Christ to come. And when Jesus, the Messiah, or not Jesus, when the Messiah comes, that they will explain to all the Jews what the meaning of all of this is, and yet Jesus came. He said it himself, it is me. I am the one. I am the son of God. He said everything. And the Jewish people are like, huh? Passover. It's just, they've missed him. They've missed him. And even today, they wait. They wait for the Messiah. Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God who declares to the world that He is the Messiah, the one that was promised to come and save mankind. Friends, we we don't just make up songs. We're not just making this up, right? We're not just talking about some fictional character, but Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is why John is writing this to you, to every one of us, is not just for you to know about Jesus, but His purpose is that you will see Jesus, that you will believe Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, I think it's verse 39. It should be one extra slide. This is a few later, right? Many of the Samaritans... Okay, so the woman goes back into the town, and this is what happens. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Next slide. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What an amazing testimony from this absolute outcast of a woman. Socially unacceptable woman and yet her encounter with Christ her encounter with Christ she then goes and talks to her pe- talks to people that should probably hate her and they come and see Jesus for themselves they see they believe and they're saved that's what John's all about that's what the gospel of John's all about it's all about you showing with you showing you who Jesus is not just not just so that you can see Jesus but so that you can believe in Jesus and so that you can be saved Let me summarize the three major points. Number one, Jesus is the living water. Okay, Jesus is not not some fictional character that's going to give you some kind of like happily ever after on this world. No, Jesus is the living water who's going to give you something that you don't just want, but you need. There's nothing in this world, there's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy you by Jesus. You come and tell me what satisfied your soul. And yeah, it might be there temporary. It might be there till tomorrow. But it will, not, it will not satisfy for the rest of your eternity. Jesus is the living water. Secondly, we need to recognize our sin. This is important. And this is important not because, that, not because Jesus wants to judge your sin. But simply because if you do not recognize your sin, you will never recognize your need for a saviour. If you don't think you have a problem, you're never gonna find a solution. Right? If you don't think that if you think that you got everything together, if you think that you got your life together, then you don't need anything. Pretty much you're God. But that's why you need to recognize your sin. Not that you could be judged, but so that Jesus can cover that. And finally, our response to receiving this living water is a life of worship, true worship. True worship in spirit and in truth. Not religious ritual embedded in the day-to-day of a Sunday, but true worship of our hearts. Here's the thing. This encounter that Jesus has with this sinful, outcast, non-Jewish woman teaches us really the, the heart of who Jesus is. That he came to seek and save the lost Seek and save the world which includes you and I. This conversation that Jesus has had with this woman is a conversation that you and I need to have with Jesus too. Now, for some of us, we've had this conversation with Jesus. And we've recognized that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God. And we have given our lives and said, you know what? I want that living water. I don't want to keep trying to suck the the joy of this world because it's temporary, it doesn't last and it's not even good. But I want the living water. I want the water that once I drink it, it is life inside of me. It, 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 It just springs up new life inside of me. For some of us, we need to have this conversation with Jesus. And here's the beauty of it. If a woman like this if a woman like this can sit and be met by Jesus where she's at, Jesus can meet you where you're at. Jesus can meet you where you're at. It's not about how bad you are or how bad you've been or how far away from God or how little you know about Jesus. You think you think, you think think this woman knew much about Jesus? She didn't know anything about Jesus. And yet Jesus meets her where she's at. And I pray that tonight. I really pray tonight. That an encounter like this with this woman would encourage you for you to have your own encounter with Jesus. That you would encounter Jesus like this in this conversation. That you would have a dynamic, a real conversation with Jesus. Because Jesus is real. We don't get up here and belt out this sermon every week just for the sake of Giving you a you know a pat on the back and you know, hope you have a great week. No, we 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 pray that you would have that living water, that you'd have eternal life. That you'd you'd understand that we don't exist for this world, but we exist for eternity. But that that all starts with that conversation with Jesus. When's the last time you had a conversation with Jesus? When's the last time Jesus said something to you that actually changed your life? I pray that. An encounter like that would happen with you today. You can have that. You can have that in your own life. You can have this relationship. He has the living water. He's offering it to you. You just need to receive it. Let's pray.